Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Um, So it's been said that hundreds, thousands of times, babies have grown up and become kings. Only once did a king become a baby. Now, I like kids. You know, I, I think I was a fairly happy baby. I enjoyed my, my childhood. I like kids. But I'm not sure that I would choose to make myself into a child again. I'm pretty happy with the adult stage of life. You know, kids, they just do weird things sometimes. Um, my sister was walking down her hallway, glanced into the bathroom, saw her six-year-old embracing the toilet seat, said, what are you doing? That's dirty. It's like, but mommy, it's just so cold. I have to warm it up before I sit on it. (laughs) Kids just do weird things, adorable things. My uh, now seven-year-old, when she was in kindergarten, she would write me these long notes. There was not a sentence or a word or actually any letters in these scribbled notes. And she'd be like, mom, here, read it. Oh, um, well, thank you. Uh, can, can you give me a, a hint about what it says? Oh, mom, it says the, the grocery list. Or it says, right? Kids are delightful. But I personally am very happy. You know, I can handle my own bodily functions. You can trust me with a pair of scissors. I'm happy being grown. Uh, kids are, you know, a, a little helpless maybe sometimes. This last week I had some car troubles, so I had to depend on other people, primarily my husband, for a ride at places, which was totally good, but also a little annoying. And if I was Jesus, I would not like having to p- depend on Joseph for a trip to Jerusalem once a year when I'm used to cruising the cosmos. But God didn't come to impress us. God did not come to, to dazzle us, to display his, his, you know, godness that way, to, to burn our eyeballs with his holiness. He came to make himself available to us, to put himself on our level, to give us access to himself in a way that's understandable and normal and very human to us. God came to make himself available to us. He said, I'm here, come on over. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. The word moved into our neighborhood as one of us. Tim Keller makes this amazing statement. He says, Christianity is the only religion that claims God became vulnerable by becoming a baby. He became someone a child who could be hurt and killed, and he was for us. This is the gospel. Our founder is not just a holy man or a prophet. He is God, God who became vulnerable for us. If you really understand this, here's the thing. You won't simply be saved. You will be able to be like Jesus. You can understand divine love and become vulnerable to others and truly love. That's what I want. I want Jesus' love not just to save me,
but to make me truly vulnerable and able to love others the same way Jesus has loved me. Jesus, let my heart be broken open, soak in, rise up in your love. Today we're looking at the story of Mary. There's no other human being who saw so much, who experienced so much of Jesus. She was there before Jesus became Jesus. She was there through Jesus's in vitro life, birth, childhood. She encouraged his first recorded miracle. She followed him as he, you know, his metaphoric rise as a new rabbi, undoubtedly worried about his controversial ministry. She was there as he died. She mourned his death as she had wondered over his birth. She saw him resurrected, her greatest tragedy reversed. She was there on the day of Pentecost to see the culmination of his ministry in the star of the church. As we study Mary today, Mary was kind of the ultimate Jesus follower who lived the most of, she lived the most of his story, extending both before and after his earthly life. She was dedicated to him. She was dedicated to him because she knew him the best. When we know Jesus, we're dedicated to him. So let's pray, and uh, we'll, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 1 in just a minute. And Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us in Christmas in your coming. Thank you that you do make us accessible to, your, to us. And right now, Jesus, we just present ourselves before you. As we are, you came in humility, and we will definitely come in humility before you. And can return that favor. Just openly as we are this morning. Would you touch our hearts, places of hurt, pain, confusion this morning, stress, anxiety. We lay all of who we are before you, Jesus. Would you shape us and form us in our core, in our hearts and our minds, through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, if you're joining us online, uh, you can turn with us. Um, if you have a um, phone, uh, I want to look at that too. We've also got some Bibles in the back if you want to grab that. This is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through, 30, uh, 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. Isn't it nice how sometimes God gives us friends on this miraculous journey? People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For no word of the Lord will ever fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May it be with me according to your word. Would my life, every part of my life, line up with your word? And the angel left her. The word of the Lord. I love this story. I love the impossibility of it. I love Mary's responses. And here's the thing. We're in this serious perusia, the inbreaking of God, how God has done it in his most spectacular form in salvation history, and how God wants to break into our lives here and now. And the inbreaking of God is, well, it just doesn't line up with how we are used to things working and how we can and should expect things to work. It's kind of impossible. And sometimes, sometimes if you're in church circles or something, you'll hear like, you know, non-Christians say like, oh, the virgin birth, that's impossible. And then Christians will be like, oh, I can't believe you don't believe that. How do you think it's possible? Because like, it kind of is, right? Like, let's just clarify some things. This is like a, a no way Jose sort of situation. There are many parts of the Jesus story that are impossible. Born of a virgin, died, and came back to life. I fully believe these things, 100% firmly believe. But let's be clear about how they contradict what we are used to living in. Sometimes we think that people in the Bible, that that they believed these things, or that early Christians all got on the bandwagon of, you know, a resurrected rabbi, and everyone believed these things because, you know, it was a simpler time, and they were a little bit more superstitious than we are, and well, we're just, you know, more scientific, and so we, we, we know where babies come from, and we know that dead people stay dead. Honestly, though, honestly, I think if you argue either way, you could argue the exact opposite. Back in those days, everyone stayed together in one bedroom. You had dying relatives. You didn't send them away to hospice. You cared for them as they took their last breath. You dressed their body as they were dead. Like, as farmers, you were responsible for mating livestock and then birthing, and then you would kill someone that lives. You were just intimately acquainted with the realities of science 
on maybe a more core level than we are today. You knew where babies came from and that dead things stay dead. Joseph was upset, not because he didn't know where babies come from, but specifically because he did know where babies come from. So Mary had some questions, but it's an open-handed doubt. Tim Keller talks about the difference between honest doubt and dishonest doubt. Dishonest doubt responds to the revelation of God, which is typically impossible according to us. Um, with, uh, you know, it says that's impossible and then just kind of walks off, builds walls, barriers. Um, dishonest doubt claims doubt as the end and refuses to kind of listen to more, to consider anything else, to consider beyond what we can uh, naturally comprehend or understand uh, immediately. Honest doubt, however, is humble. Good doubt asks questions that leads to, to dialogue. Good doubt doesn't build walls but, but bridges to, to more. Good doubt is, is humble and willing to learn and open to moving beyond. Mary has some honest doubt. She has some real questions she wants to ask. But honestly, her asking is good. She's like, hey, I can't do this without doing anything wrong. So I would just like some more details about that. God called Mary into the impossible, into more than she could ever do herself. And God calls us into more than we can ever do ourselves. If you are really following Jesus, if you are walking into the fullness of what God has for you, Spoiler alert, you can't do it by yourself. God calls us into more than we can do, than we can fulfill by ourselves. As followers of Christ, we are not meant to like live up to our potential. We are not meant to say, I can do this, this, and this, and go out and do it. We are meant to inhabit Christ's potential. We're meant to say, what can he do? And then live into that and when we look at things, we, we, we think, yeah, but there's no way we can ever do that. That's exactly the point. We look at things, we think that's not realistic, that's not reasonable. That's actually exactly the point. It's so counterintuitive. What can I do in and of myself? Well, you know, I'm relatively competent. You know, I can accomplish a couple things. You know, I work hard and you know, can make things happen through hard work. Maybe some of you, wait, what's your MO? How do you get stuff accomplished in life? Maybe you're a strategizer and think these things through. Maybe you're relational, social, you get people on board. Um, you know, what, whatever it is, what do you use to accomplish life? You know, um, I, I think about for myself, I, I use time to accomplish things. I can just work and put in the, in the time. Um, I entered college, kind of like ridiculously behind. In some ways, I had a wonky education that like excelled in some areas and totally ignored other areas. Um, I went to a good college. I'd never written a research paper. Um, my knowledge of using computers was limited. The first test I ever took was the SATs at age 17. Um, so college was, it, it was a struggle. And um, I, I got to college and you know, did some extracurriculars, had some friends, had, had a job. And it was just normal to me. 
I just assumed this was the way life would be, that I would then go to the library and study every night till about 3 a.m., get up. I just, I didn't think about like, oh, maybe I should talk to my professors. Maybe I should get some extra tutoring help. Maybe I should see if I can get some notes from classmates. None of this occurred to me. I just thought, I'll go to the library till 4 a.m. This is, this is my MO. Maybe some of you would have used other means to accomplish life that may have been much smarter. My uh, freshman year roommate says she never saw me sleep. And I think that might have been accurate. But I'm like, this is just how I, I get stuff done. It was actually just like totally normal and, and obvious uh, to me. I've been a mom now for three years. And in these three years of having kids, my best currency, my way to get stuff done, I'll just, I'll just stay up late, I'll just work harder, put in more time, like that has been like ripped out of my hands. I do not have my best tools anymore. And that's okay. Because what I can do in and of myself yields me results. There is a ceiling to what I can do. There is a ceiling to what I can accomplish. There is no ceiling to what God can accomplish. I've learned to sit back. I've learned to let God do things. I've learned to make myself a servant of the Lord in new ways. We have to let go of a God who's like our servant and make ourselves actually servants of God, doing what he wants, his way, his means, his timing. Either we treat God as our servant, we say, please, God, here's what I want you to do, or we can become deeply servants of God. And if we notice here also, you know, Mary, Mary didn't say yes to getting pregnant. She said yes to whatever God would do. And she knew what, God, what the angel was laying out for her. But she said yes to what God would do. She didn't say, okay, great. Now I will go out and, you know, get myself pregnant. She said yes. And then she waited for God to do it. She waited for God to accomplish and carry out what he had called her to do. She said yes to the assignment and let God do the rest. But let's be honest also about how Mary's life was about to change. Mary's life was not going to get better. She knew it. Do we know it? Because I think it's true and it's instructive to us. If we think, oh, Mary said yes, and then she just walked in heavenly joy and peace the whole time, we are setting ourselves up for some brutal uh, discoveries as we walk through our own spiritual journey. She said yes to Jesus. And then was pregnant out of wedlock. I mean, people were killed for this back in the day. She said yes to Jesus and then, you know, had to flee the border as a, as a refugee um, you know, with a, a young child. And I think she had a lot of joy in following the Lord, a lot of peace in following the Lord. I mean, she clearly worked out for her. She was following Jesus 35, 40 years later. But let's not over-spiritualize her journey. She said yes to Jesus, and it was hard. 
If you had asked Mary, like, Mary, what, what, what do you think you can do to, to serve God better? What would God like from you? I guarantee she would have never, ever thought this. I don't know what she would have said, like, you know, cook food for the poor outside the gates or dedicate yourself. Yeah, I don't know what she would have said, but it certainly wouldn't have been this. Saying yes to Jesus gets us in deep, out of our preferences, beyond our capacity, uh, just out of the normal, maybe out of respectability, out of what we can do and into what God can do. Barbara Brown Taylor says that on one hand, Mary was just a girl, immature and frightened, who had the good sense to believe what the angel told her. It is good sense to believe what God says. On the other hand, she was more than just an immature young girl. She was the mother of God with faith enough to move mountains to sing about the victories of her son as if you were already at the right hand of the father instead of just uh, some cells forming in her womb when we allow God to be born in us. There is no telling, no telling at all what will come out. Mary was an obscure village girl who should have stayed that way, but she said yes to Jesus and no word from the Lord will ever fail. No word from the Lord will ever fail. Because it's about the character of God. And as she said yes to this plan, she needed now more than ever to know who God was, to stand firm in the character of God, to know that God is a God who lifts up the, the lowly who casts down the haughty and the proud who will look sideways at her, who remembers the poor, who remembers the despised, who keeps his promises. Hear what she says just uh, shortly after with Elizabeth. She says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all those who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and the haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be faithful. For he, has, for he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children, to me forever. Such a great reminder of who God is as Mary stands firm in his character, in who God is. As we start to uh, wrap things up, you know, what did Mary have that made her a good candidate? What did Mary bring to the table? Why was Mary chosen? You know, was she really good with kids? I mean, she was 13. I don't think we really have any great way of knowing what kind of a mom she would be. Was she, you know, 
stable, well-connected, good family, educated, you know, a good environment to raise a child in? Not really. Guys, like, I think this is really important. Mary has nothing for qualifications that you and I do not have. In fact, there may be some here who are actually better qualified than Mary was. But it doesn't mean anything if you're not yielded. She said yes to Jesus. She was fully yielded. And that, that is what garners the Lord's favor. That is what makes you highly favored and chosen. I just think it's so like so crucial for us to really understand in the kingdom of God that you can be quote-unquote better qualified, quote-unquote better, you know, educated, better what, whatever. And just, it really doesn't mean anything. It's worthless if you're not yielded, if you're not surrendered. And we spend so much time working on our qualifications and so little time working on our yieldedness. I mean, Jesus, right now, would you work on my yieldedness? I have enough qualification. I mean, I'm, okay. I need more yieldedness. My qualifications will not get me far. My yieldedness. Oh, it's no telling what Jesus will do with that. And friends, what we are talking about here is the impossible. Mary is used at a unique moment of the salvation story. And the only thing that can actually work here, the only thing that will actually save us is impossible. One of my friends, he preached an Advent sermon, and uh, it was entitled, Nothing That Can Save Us Is Possible. Nothing that can save us is possible. You know, if it's possible, good, cool, great, good idea, go ahead and do it, awesome, wonderful. But if it's possible in our little realm, it's not going to radically transform and change our situation. It's not going to save us. Nothing that will save us is possible like, think about what would have been, like, a little bit more normal, normative, a little bit more possible in this scenario. You know, the most probable candidates for, you know, parenthood. Like, let's choose Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're already married, a good godly couple, priestly family. They did indeed miraculously give birth to a child, a prophet. John the Baptist, you know, Mary and Joseph could have gotten married good Jewish family, raised, you know, and accepted. He could have become a great rabbi. You know, it just doesn't have the same, like, punch to it, does it? It's not impossible enough to actually save us. Into this, you know, gaping hole, this gigantic salvation impossibility, God pours his grace and his power and his goodness, and it's enough to save us. The only other person to have had such like direct divine intervention in his birth is Adam. Adam was born totally of the will and the initiative of God. Jesus is born the will, the initiative of God. In Adam, humanity is birthed. In Jesus, 
a new humanity is birthed. In Jesus, we have a new way of being human, of living into God's restoration and redemption for us. Jesus ushers in a new way of being human, and it is enough to save us. His name will be called Jesus. Parents typically name their kids. They're right. You make the baby. You name the baby. The angel says, no, it's not your baby. It's God's baby. We're going to name him. His name will be called Jesus. When Jesus comes into your life, he's in charge. He calls the shots. He defines the situation. He starts the situation. And that is a good thing. As Mary says yes to Jesus, her surrender sets in motion the resurrection. Her surrender leads to her spiritual resurrection. Her surrender leads to the foot of the cross and to Easter, to Resurrection Sunday. And that's what saying yes to Jesus does for us. It allows Jesus to come in to break into our circumstance and our situation. It allows Jesus to do way more than we could ever have done in and of ourselves. Our yes to Jesus radically changes things. And it allows for an impossible that is enough to save us. Friends, let's stand together. The worship team, you guys can come on up. You know, God speaks to those who listen. God uses those who are willing. God says yes to those who say yes to him. I think as we look at Mary's example, as we ask, how does God break into our world? We want to respond with Mary's same attitude. God took Mary from, from a nobody in the total wrong, like, to being a saint. And God wants to do the same for us, to elevate us, to break into our lives when we say yes to him. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we do yield and surrender to you. Whatever area of our life that you're, you're breaking into, that you come and you say, hello, my dear child, you are favored, you are loved, you are chosen. And that is the reality in God, in Christ, that we are all, we can hear the voice of God calling out to us. You are favored, you are chosen, you are loved. And God has great things for us. So this morning we say yes. We yield, we surrender to what you have for us. We say, come Holy Spirit, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.